So we are continuing the series, as I said, that we started several weeks ago. As we have started this year, we have started with our focus on prayer, knowing that again, God has called us as his followers to, to be people of prayer, to, to bring our requests before him. And, you know, there were uh, different times when the disciples came to Jesus and, and asked him to, to teach them how to pray. Uh, and, uh, and he taught in different, several different places within his public ministry to the crowds, as well as within the, the 12 disciples, he, he showed them at different times uh, in ways to pray and things that he taught them about prayer and, and the way to connect with their Heavenly Father. Again, we are continuing uh, into this year starting with this focus on prayer. And as we, as we move into 2021, we know that, that there is uh, new ground for God to take that there is our new things that we need to, to work towards during this year. And throughout this time, as we are focusing our hearts on prayer, we, we are focusing in on the Lord's Prayer. And we've been looking at, at, at each phrase um, you know, throughout each week, and as we're diving deep into these teachings that Jesus gives us on prayer, the most famous version of the Lord's Prayer is found in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. And it is in verses 5 through 13 where Jesus focuses on prayer. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Matthew uh, chapter 5. We're going to start there um, as we are just reminded again of this, this basic teaching that Jesus gives on prayer right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, if you have your own Bible, hope you can open with us. If you don't have your own Bible and you're here with us in person, you can Find those Bibles available for you in the seats, and you'll see the page numbers on there of where you can find this passage in those Bibles. Um, but as we open up to Matthew chapter 6, again, we see uh, here Jesus is teaching on prayer. Matthew 6, starting at verse 5, he says, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. And when you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. As we look at these basic teachings that Jesus gives about prayer before he gives us this model prayer in the Lord's Prayer, we, we, we see, again, some guidelines. And, and Jesus doesn't say that we shouldn't pray publicly, but we should also pray privately. Again, that we don't have to be worried about fancy words or certain routines, but, but again, Jesus just says, come with a genuine heart. Because prayer is the foundation of all spiritual disciplines. It is our, our connection to God through communication, through um, not just talking to him, but hearing from him. And we've seen here, Jesus teaches on effective prayer. We, we see kind of the foundation of his teaching is that effective prayer is more about perspective and posture than about your practice. 
What is the, the tone of your heart as you come to the Lord in prayer? Is, are, are we coming uh, just with our list of demands, or are we coming to truly seek the Lord? Are we connecting relationally to him? Are, are, are our hearts open to the answers he will give? And, and again, our, our perspective and our posture is really about our, our attitude, when we come to the Lord in prayer. And, and again, practice is important, right? But the biggest, the most important thing about our practice within prayer is the fact that we actually do it, right? And one of the biggest hurdles for most believers when it comes to their prayer life is, is that you have to actually do it, right? And once we do it, do we seek the Lord again with a perspective, with, with a posture? And, and just as we say, posture not, is not just our physical posture, and sometimes that helps us, right, within our prayer life of, of kneeling or standing or, or raising our hands or, or whatever it might be in prayer, and that can be important, but, but again, what's the posture of our hearts, right, and our perspective, and, and are we open to, again, the Lord and to his, his spirit and his voice, as we pray, as I said, then all of the spiritual disciplines are built upon that active prayer life. And, and as we do that, again, we are looking at this model prayer that Jesus gives us of the Lord's Prayer. And, and again, as we read here, the, the NLT version of the Lord's Prayer, it's, it's a little different. It's worded a little differently than the traditional one. Again, depending on your background, you, you might have, have recited the Lord's Prayer um, over and over again, or through a certain liturgy or, or a routine. And, and again, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but as long as we know the meaning behind the phrases. And so you see there on your handout, we have uh, the King James Version, which is the, the traditional version of the Lord's Prayer, the one that you likely have recited, if, if that's been a part of your, spirit, of your faith background and experience. Um, and as you do that, again, just as we've been doing through this series, uh, as, as I read it, you're welcome to recite it with me if you want to do that. Um, but again, this is that King James Version. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So as I said, we've been working our way through the, the different phrases of the Lord's Prayer in each week. And we started in week one with the very first phrase of our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. And we saw there that this describes this, this tension that we must manage as a part of our faith uh, between our Abba Father and that deep connection with with God and, and with him truly being our father and, and this, this personal connection with him. As, as well as the other side of the spectrum is the hallowed be your name part, right? your name be kept holy, the, the, the all-powerful, um, sovereign, alpha and omega God. And that we see this, that God is both. And as we come to God, there's an act, an act in this phrase of, of praise and adoration and reverence that comes with keeping his name holy. But there's also this deep personal connection of our Abba Father. And that we manage this tension of God being both. And then we then looked last week at the second phrase of may your kingdom come soon. And we looked at the three different aspects of faith that this addresses, of how God's kingdom is established within our own hearts, 
how it also addresses the second coming of Christ. And then thirdly, how God's kingdom is spread through the lives and faith of all of his followers. Right? How we are to, again, help take new ground for God's kingdom and not, not building our own kingdom, but building the kingdom of God. And as we are challenged with the question of which kingdom are we really building and who is on the throne of our hearts. And now today we move on to this next phrase, this next part of this, uh, this prayer, which is, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we look at this phrase and, and think about God's will and, and knowing that, that that's something that is seemingly hard to understand, something that feels far off, something that, that maybe even seems like a, like a, a riddle to be solved. And yet, we, we also see that, that Jesus establishes that his will needs to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus implies here with this phrase that, right, that his will is already done in heaven. Now, and we see this, again, this phrase, this on earth as it is in heaven, if we really look at the structure of the prayer and the way that Jesus prayed it in that original language, um, Again, we see that that's the real request, right? That, that here, we want your will done on earth because it's already done in heaven. So again, heaven becomes the example of what God's will is or should be. Now, as we look at, again into this, is there's many scholars that believe in the way that it gets translated is different in different translations, but, but yet that all three of these first phrases are connected to this on earth as it is in heaven concept. Right, that we can, again, connect all three that we've already looked at. That, um, that, that they're all connected to this concept and to this ending in this phrase. And as we look at, uh, at this this morning, I think you'll see how they are, I think, all connected. Now, of course, they're all connected, aren't they? Right, as Jesus teaches us these different phrases and, and, and all the meanings behind them as we dive into this this model prayer, they, they are connected, but, but one of the main ways that it's connected is the eschatological tone of the entire prayer. And again, an es- eschatology is this like a famous scholarly word, right, that means the second coming of Christ, the end times. Okay, and yet the tone of the entire Lord's Prayer is, is focused on the second coming of Christ and, and on the future, what God is going to accomplish and the same is true here about, again, his will being done on earth as it's already established in heaven. And, and the truth is that God's will will not be fully accomplished on earth until the second coming of Christ. Right? That is when his will will be established on earth as it already is established in heaven. So as we dive into this phrase and say, what is Jesus getting you know, teaching us in the midst of this phrase, we have to start with, well, so what does his will look like in heaven? Right? Because until we understand what, what his will is in heaven, then, then we don't even understand what we're asking for, for it to be done on earth, do we? So that's where we're going to start today, right? What does God's will look like in heaven? As we dive into this again and, and this concept, we're, we're going to look here at, at, at the whole scope of the Bible, 
Okay, the entire narrative, I mean, from, from the very beginning to the very end, um, we have to look at, at the, the bigger picture of Scripture to, to, to establish what is God's will in heaven. The first thing that we see as we do that, as we step back and look at the whole narrative of Scripture, um, is that we learn that God's will is unhindered relationship with his creation. Unhindered relationship. That God's presence is not pulled back at all. It is not hindered by anything. That there is no barrier. There is no tension between God's full presence and us as his creation. Unhindered relationship. Like when we, again, start at the very beginning, right, in the Garden of Eden. That's what the garden was. Right, was Adam and Eve in full, unhindered relationship with God. Right, as I said, God was in the garden. I mean, he was there with them, right? He, he, there was, there was, this was pre-fall. There was no sin. There was no barrier between them and God. And, and, and again, sin had not entered the world. And they were in unhindered relationship with their creator. And yet, if we, then we know what happens, right, in Genesis 3. I mean, that, that, Sin enters the world, right? The fall in Genesis 3. And then we, if we fast forward all the way to the end, I mean, we start at the very beginning in Genesis 1 and the creation and the unhindered relationship in the garden. If we fast forward clear to the end, to Revelation 21. In fact, if you have your Bible with you, flip with me to Revelation 21. Again, this is one of the easiest passages to find in Scripture because it's literally the end. Revelation 21, as we look at, um, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7 this morning. And this is, again, one of the most complete descriptions of heaven in all of Scripture. Revelation 21, starting at verse 1. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. And all who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. Oh, let's just revel in that for a moment. Again, what does that describe? That describes unhindered relationship with our God. Right? It's all finished. He is the Alpha and Omega. It's, his will has been accomplished, right? That we are now back and restored to what we lost in the garden. 
we are in unhindered relationship with our God. Again, the reality, when we look at the bigger picture of scriptures, everything in the Bible between Genesis 3 on is about getting us to this point. Right, from, from Genesis 3 from the fall, when, when Adam and Eve get, get expelled from the garden, right, because now there's a barrier between us and God, right, and that relationship has been hindered. And, and everything from Genesis 3 on is about getting us back to this point in Revelation 21. That's God's plan of redemption. Right, of, of restoring this, his will, which is unhindered relationship with his creation. And as, as we, again, this passage goes on through 21 and into Revelation 22, describing what this city will be like. Right, and it's in this scriptures where we see those, those familiar descriptions of the streets of gold and, and, and you know, no sin and... and all of that, right? That, that again, there's, there's not, we don't even need a sun because God's presence, right, is so bright. And, and we, we see this, right, that, that this is the core of God's will, is unhindered relationship with his creation. And we see in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, it says, Now God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Right? At the right time, God will finish it. Right? And everything that's true in heaven, of that relationship, it will also be true on earth. Right? Isn't, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Right, that's what Jesus prayed in his prayer. Right, at the right time. Now, now again, I, I have my own opinion about when the right time would be. Right? I'm thinking, Lord, now is really good. But at the same time, we have that, that also, that other part of me, right? It's like, but I also, I want to I see, see my kids graduate high school and get married. And, and you know, I want to I see grandkids, and you know, I want to experience the things of this life as well, right, and, and so, again, there's, once again, it's this, this tension that we kind of live in, right? and yet, as, as we see, again, that ultimately is the core of God's will, is that he wants unhindered relationship with his creation, which leads to the next thing that we see about God's will, right, and that is that God's will is to save everyone he can. Again, who does he want with him in heaven? Everyone. Which, as we know, right, is core value number four, right? Everyone's welcome. Right? Because not only does God's will about unhindered relationship with his creation, but he wants it with all of his creation. Right? With every person. We see, again, this, this love is described that God has for his creation and for the world, even though we are fallen, even though there is a, a barrier and a hindrance between us and him relationally, right? That, that we see God's plan of how to get us back to the garden, right? Of, of making this work and getting us to Revelation 21. The core of God's plan was Jesus. 
Right? We see this again described in this famous passage in John 3, 16 and 17. It says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Again, who does God want to judge and send to the eternal fire? No one. And he sent it to all of the world, right? That, again, that judgment was made for, for the enemy, right? And the demons and the powers of evil. It was not intended for us. Right? And again, who does God want to save? He wants to save the world. Again, God's will is not to judge, but to save. And so he provided a way. Right? That's his plan. Right, was a Messiah. Knowing that we couldn't save ourselves, and so he solved the equation for us. So as we see, we, we see this, this concept of God's will in heaven, right, is that we all get there. Right? And, and the, the, the reason for heaven is unhindered relationship with our God. And as we know, right, that this, again, it's obvious, will not be as established until the second coming of Christ, until this world as we know it ends. So as we see, again, the, the, the core will of God, what, what all the scripture speaks to, we still have this burning question that I know we have all asked at different times. So what am I supposed to do in the meantime? But as I pray for God's will to be done, I mean, again, literally, when we pray that phrase, we're asking God to come. Right, and establish heaven here on earth. So what do I do tomorrow? Right, as I pray for those and longing, look towards the end times, which, which one, I think, to say that as part of that prayer is realizing that, again, as, if we're honestly praying that, that means that we have no fear of the end times. That means that we have no fear of death. Right, because we know where we're going to be. And yet, as we long for that, what, is, what do I do in the meantime? How do I know God's will for me until he comes again? Because that's what feels mysterious, isn't it? That's what feels like the, the riddle to be solved. Like, how, how do I know what God wants for me while I wait? Well, I know it might be a shock to you, but God spoke to that too in Scripture. Hopefully it's not a shock. Right? God, God does answer us that question. Because the reality is that God's will is not mysterious or difficult to know if you truly just follow the gospel. And so how, how do I know God's will for me until he comes again? Well, I, I start with God's plan of redemption, right? For him establishing his will, not just on earth as in heaven, but establishing his will in my own heart. Which is the first thing is I let God adopt me as his child. Is that I get rid of that barrier of sin in my life because we are all born with sin in our life. Right? And the fact that we naturally have that barrier, that relational hindrance between us and our God 
And so we start with the very first step, which is I let God adopt me as his child. And I do that by receiving Christ as my Savior. As we see in, in again, Romans 10, 9, and 10, it, it tells us what it means to be saved. And again, being saved is a relational term. Okay, because following Jesus is about a relationship, right? That's, that's God's will. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Do I believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that he did what was described in John 3.16? Do I believe that? And if I do believe it, then I confess that. I confess my faith, and, and, and I ask Jesus to come into my life and to forgive me for those sins and to remove that barrier. And at that moment of salvation is where I move from God's creation and I get adopted as his child. And when we think about this whole concept, right, of, of being adopted being brought into God's family, being treated as one of his own, and, and knowing, again, this is at the core of this concept that Jesus started with from the very beginning, right? Is that this moment of salvation is when Jesus in, in, it transforms me as I'm adopted and my identity changes, and I become connected to my Abba Father. where Jesus started, isn't it? That it's the first step of knowing God's will, right, is receiving Christ your Savior, because the reality, if you don't do that, right, if you try to do it on your own, Scripture tells us you will fall short every time, right? And if you try to find God's will for you without being saved, without receiving him as your Savior, without joining the journey of faith, then you will never get it right, because it will be your will, not God's. And if you try to understand scripture without the help of the Holy Spirit that you receive at that moment, right, you, it, you, you won't get it. It won't make sense. Because as God's child, you have the Holy Spirit opening your eyes and, and transforming your heart and showing you what it means and helping you understand. And in that moment of, of being adopted, right, is when you... you push everything that's been behind you. All of those hindrances are gone. They're in the past, and you start focusing on the future. And that's, in fact, exactly what we're told in 2 Corinthians 5.17. This means anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. And that new life is that journey of faith that you start on when you continue to grow every day and move closer to Christ. You start a new journey when you receive Christ as your Savior. Again, Jesus is the only way. I mean, that's what he said, right? You, you can't get there on your own. Right? That is the core of the gospel. So how do I know God's will? First and foremost, I need to be adopted as his child. 
And then once I'm adopted, then the next step of knowing God's will for my life is, is to let God transform me. Again, who's God want to say? Well, everyone, right? You're not disqualified. If you're human, you can be saved. Right? Your past can be behind you. God's blood can cover whatever it is. But yet, God also, once you are his child, then we need to live in his household as his child, right? As, and scripture describes it, then, then we, we get disciplined by our Abba Father because he's also a sovereign God who is all-knowing and who is all-powerful, but also who loves me. And that is, again, the next step of being, and the first step of being transformed is once I'm adopted, then I submit to the authority of God. Or we can look at it the way Jesus said it. I will keep his name holy. Or hallowed be his name. Right, I start with making him my Abba Father, and then I start, then I, the next step, right, is to keep his name holy and submit to his authority. And then I continue to move forward in my journey and, and grow in my faith, and, uh, which means I start to put God on the throne of my life. And, and suddenly, you know, God's not now just a part of my life as my Savior, but then I start the painful process of making God my Lord and my King and kicking myself out of the throne of my life and putting Jesus in his place as his kingdom comes. In Romans 12, 2, we are told to not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I mean, it's not a riddle to be solved. It's just a message to be heard. It comes from our Abba Father as I submit to the Alpha and Omega and, and as, as I put him on the throne of my life and he truly becomes the Lord of my life. Right? Then I will know God's will. And then we see this, again, this, this fact about God's will, right? It's good, it is pleasing, and it is perfect. And then as I start to know God's will, right, as he changes the way I think and he's transforming my heart and, and I, I get to, to recognize the voice of God as, as he is a bigger part of my life and, and as I, I, I understand his will and he's showing me the steps to take, right, then the next step of knowing God's will is, is that I must submit to God's plan. Because I can know God's plan, but I can also look back at God and be like, yeah, I'm not interested. Thanks for saving me, God, but I'm not, I'm not doing that. We have to submit. It was, 
comes down to the fact that, what, again, what am I pursuing? What am I building in my life? Am I, am I building my own kingdom and I'm still going to hold on to my own way or am I going to build God's kingdom? Right? And submit to his plan and his will for me even if it's not what I think I should do. Now, I probably, just like you, have gone kicking and screaming at different times in my journey. Right? When I know what God's telling me to do, and I'm like, nope, not ready, God. But what about this? God, have you thought about that? Because that doesn't sound like it's going to work out. Right? And yet, again, do I know that God's will is pleasing and perfect and good? And if I believe that, then I need to trust that God's not going to lead me down a path that's going to be bad for me. Right? That God's not going to tell me to do something that's going to make me miserable. Right? That, that I can trust God's will and I can submit to his will. Like James speaks to this in James 4, 13 through 17. Where he says, look here, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to go to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like a morning fog. It's, It's here a little while and then it's gone. And what you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans. And all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Again, James teaches us this first concept, right, about just holding my life with open hands and saying, God, this is what I'm going to do and bless it. And if you don't bless it, then lead me in a new way, right? Because, again, you're, you're the king, right? You're going to decide. But then, again, this, this last phrase Stings a little, doesn't it? Because once I'm walking with God and growing in my faith and and I hear his voice and he gives me direction, then if I don't do it, then I'm right back in that sin where I started. Right? As he says, right, it's, it's a sin to know what you ought to do and not do it. And I confess, right, I've been there many times in my life and in my faith. And if you've walked with Jesus for more than five minutes, my guess is you probably have been too. Because the reality is that God's will is already done in heaven. And this whole prayer up to this point is building to the request that his will be done on earth as well. And this starts in my own life. And as I grow in my faith and I live out the gospel every day, as I become more like Christ tomorrow than I am today, then this world will be different because my world will be different. You think about that fact for a moment. Right? If God's will is to save everyone, And if we were all saved, and if we all just focused on our own heart and our own life and accomplishing God's will and 
in my world, how different would our world be? Right? If, if, if God's will was really done on earth as it is in heaven, there would be no need for evangelism. Right? Because everybody would know God, everybody would be following him and submitting to his will. Right? And, and there would be no sin, and we would care about others as much as we care about ourselves. And, and, and that sounds like heaven, doesn't it? And so as we pray this, right, that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what we're really asking for God to do is transform me as I focus on my own heart and my own life and my own faith and, and the fact that, that that's not true on earth yet, which means that we need to be sharing who God is with those who don't know him. Because if that was true, there would be no need for evangelism, but there is a need to share God with people who don't know him as their Savior because there's a lot of people who don't know him as their Savior. So part of submitting to God's plan is sharing God's plan and sharing his love. And as we think about this idea and this concept, and as we see, we get to this, this very important place in this prayer. Right, as all of these phrases so far are building up to this request for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we get there, we get to this point right, of saying, now am I going to do what God's leading me to do in my life? And am I going to take a step forward and, and move closer to Christ? Or am I going to not? And you might have noticed that our world is a little bit chaotic. Okay, and this next month, right, is, it could, go, it could go either way, right? We know that. And the reality is we don't really have a lot of control over what's going to happen in the next month in our world. But what we do have control over is what's going to happen in my own world and my own heart and my own life and my own faith. Right? And, and so as we look at this next month, again, as we have, as a church, we're focusing on prayer as we start this year. I want to extend to all of us a one-month challenge. Okay? And that one month, for the next month, I challenge you to move forward in your faith. Focus on your world. Not just on all the problems of the whole world. Focus on your world for, for the next month. And as we look at the next month, I, I challenge you, the one-month challenge is to take a step forward in your faith and see what God does. Again, I don't know what that step might be, but I do know that there's a lot going on in our world in the next month, and as everything happens around us, we need to turn to God for stability. So I don't know where you're at in your faith. Maybe you don't even have a faith. And the first step is to be adopted as God's child, to pray and receive him as your savior. So again, maybe this next month is, is the step is to get saved. Maybe the step is to get baptized. Maybe it's to get into a small group. Maybe it's making a journey video. Maybe it's committing to having, getting your kids and your youth here consistently to serve somewhere. 
to take a journey class, to get connected to a companion, to step up your prayer life, to dive into a daily devotional, to share Jesus with somebody, to host a watch party online. I don't know what your next step is in your world, but I challenge you to take it. Because this next month is going to be challenging no matter what. But will you rise to the one-month challenge to put Jesus on the throne every day? Again, we have all of these different tools available for you to grow in your faith, but it is up to you to take the next step and to move forward in your journey. So you need to first, the first step of this challenge is to seek the Lord and say, God, what do I need to do to move my faith journey forward? And once I know it, I need to do it. Which means you know my final thought this morning, and that's this. God's will is already established in heaven, and it will be done on earth when Christ comes again. So are you adopted? Are you being transformed? Will you submit yourself to God's plan? Will you take the next step in your faith? I hope you will. And again, whatever step that is, Follow God's leading and follow through and actually do it. Lord God, we know that you hear us. God, we know that, Lord, you long for us to come to you and connect in prayer. God, to hear your voice or to be in that relationship with us. God, you long to adopt us as your child, God, to lead our lives as we journey closer to you every day. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would give us the courage to take that step. Lord, that we can get to that place, even in our own hearts, that we can truly pray, thy will be done, and really mean it. God, continue to transform us. God, continue to use us as your church, God, to reach this world that so desperately needs you. God, we long for that description of heaven. God, and we can truly be in an unhindered relationship with you. But God, until that day comes, we pray, God, that your light would shine through us into this world. Lord, as we go this week, help us, God, to not just move forward in our faith, God, but to show this world what it means to be a follower of you. God, to truly be submitted to you, to have you be our king. Lord, as we go this week, Lord, we will build your kingdom. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.